We're on and going. Okay, the Revelation chapter 4. I will review verse 1. I looked at verse 1 last time in view of the doctrine of the rapture uh, because in, in, in my theological persuasion, the church is raptured after the seven churches and leading into what is in uh, chapter 4. The book of the Revelation, when studied, should be viewed chronologically. It is a book of prophecy, which means for those to whom it is given initially, namely the church, it is a book of prophetic events, something that is yet to happen. But those things happen uh, in, in the course of time and when the Bible says that these things will happen rapidly, uh, sometimes it's translated quickly. And take, the, the Greek phrase means that it will happen in rapidity. When it starts happening, it'll happen just like this. So when you and I think of the book of the Revelation as being essentially chronological, we're seeing that the book of prophecy and the prophetic events from the church's view that begin in the Revelation chapter 4, once they start, they will really come one right after the other. So it's a, it's a chronological book and should be studied that way in my view. The reason I say that is because now we're past the seven churches, which I... I believe is representative of seven ages of the church, and I believe that the Laodicean church is the last age of the church, and that the remnant of the Philadelphian church, according to the promise of Christ in his letter to the church at Philadelphia, uh, is raptured because he promises to keep them from the hour of trial that is about to come upon the whole earth. And when he says about to come upon the whole earth, or the, the, on those who dwell on the inhabited earth, that's how I think, I think it's how it literally reads. Then it moves right to Laodicea, which means not far into that Laodicean period as the Philadelphian age comes to a close. Now, this is my view anyway. Uh, the remnant is raptured. The remnant of the church uh, is raptured. Now, for the church at Laodicea, Christ is standing at the door knocking. In other words, he's, he's not in that church. That uh, that's a sermon. That, how that happens and and about apostasy and so forth. That's a sermon and a study for another time. Chronologically, that's the idea of the movement of the revelation. The next thing is to remember, at the very outset, John the Revelator is told that the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, is a gift from the Father. To, to Jesus Christ, to, to his son. At this stage in the early, early era of the church, with John being the last of the living apostles, Christ will close the canon of scripture by revealing himself in the fullest and best way that we can understand it. In other words, he's showing himself to be very God of very God. He shows himself uh, essentially as the ancient of days. That's how he's pictured here. That's how he's described. Every time we have a new vision, every time we have a new little section or a new context that begins leaving the older context in the Revelation, we have, a, we have another expanding of the unveiling of Jesus Christ, his power, his person, his ministry, who he is. So by the time you finish the book of the Revelation, the church, this gift that the Father gave to the Son and the Son shares with the church, the church now has a has has the most expanded view that we can possibly have of the person of the Christ this side of rapture and resurrection. So we keep those two things in mind. The person of the Christ is being unveiled all the way through the book as a gift from the Father to the Son, and the book runs chronologically. 
Now, with the beginning of chapter 4, it is in the future, definitely. There's no more mention of the church except in the summary statement in the last few verses of the Revelation 22. In the closing remarks, uh, there's a brief mention of the churches and how, you know, how this is to be presented and so forth. I hope, I hope I've made that clear. I keep going back to it, but to me it's very important for us to understand that a book of, pro- of prophecy is just that. It's a book of prophecy. All right, so we're going back still to verse 1 uh, and look at it from the context that we're going to be in. And I, I hope to get through the first four verses here uh, this evening. And with that in mind, let's, let's start it. Now, verse 1 begins and ends with the same Greek phrase, metatata, after these things. So a double whammy of that phrase tells us that this is the beginning of the third section that Christ outlined in the Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. After these things, after the church things of the Revelation 2 and 3, and after what the things that he saw in the Revelation, that John saw in the Revelation chapter 1. Okay. After these things, I looked, and look, a door was standing open in heaven, and the first voice that I heard, like a trumpet, was speaking with me, saying, Anabahode, I send to hear. Now, that's an imperative. It's a, it's a command. Ascend to hear. Uh, come to hear. And I will show you what is necessary. Now, when Almighty God says that something is necessary, nothing's going to change it. It's written here in the book, and it's not going to change. So the things that we're going to study here are necessary. They're going to happen because it is God's wrath coming down upon the earth dwellers in the final age of man before the age of the kingdom. Uh, So... He says, and look, a throne. Now, that word throne is used several times. I counted them earlier today, and I I think it's 11 times, something like that, in this chapter. So the throne, in in this part of the scripture, the throne is a a basic subject for what we're studying. So all the activity is around the throne or upon the throne or whatever. A throne was set. In heaven, it is set uh, in the imperfect. It, it's there. It's you know. It's it's uh, it was set. This is God's throne. Was set in heaven, and upon the throne. Uh, uh, the, the 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 word would be it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's a present participle but it's in the masculine so it speaks of the one sitting so John okay now think about this all right John has been listening having seen this magnificent Christ enswathed in glory and arrayed in magnificent apparel as the king priest and he sees him really unlike he had ever seen him before. And so he is in the presence of this God the Son. And then he tells him to write these things. And he goes through the seven letters to the seven churches, seven messengers designated to be given to the messenger of each of the seven churches, to each messenger of each church. Okay, so in this in this gentle but instructive voice, Jesus, the, the Christ, the, the Son of God, would have been explaining these seven letters, each time expanding a view of himself, of who he is, what he can do, and what he is doing. Now it all changes. Everything changes. Now as the, he says, man, I heard this voice like the trumpet, like the one I first heard, man. So it, it shook him up. He was, you know, studying the seven letters to the seven churches and writing as he was told to write. And then all of a sudden, the great voice 
and a command from that great voice. Voice, ascend to here. Well, where is here? He is going to be carried to the throne room of God. This is this is something that uh, that must have been a magnificent a magnificent uh, vision. After matters that regard the church and instructions about the church on earth, now it's heaven. We come up to heaven. We're following, in our reading, we're following John up to heaven. I want you to come up here because I, I need to show you things that must take place after these things. Here's the church. The church is going to move right along, but then ascend to me. Which, which teaches us because then all of a sudden the, the church is not mentioned and it's not mentioned as I said from then. So this 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 pleads to us that the church has been caught away and caught up and it's not on earth anymore. So now all the activity uh, is shifted or the the, the 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 prophetic voice and instruction of Christ shifts at this point to heaven. Now let me. Let me follow up on saying that the revelation is to be studied chronological. We have just left the age of the church and we're in the future now when we come to the revelation chapter four. We are in the future. So chronologically, it's a time that hasn't come yet. So essentially, the revelation will follow this pattern of movement as God pours out rather gently at first, although it's pretty harsh, his judgment and wrath, and then it crescendos in its harshness and its awfulness all the way to the end of the age and the consummation at Armageddon. So uh, we see it chronologically, and so it moves basically and generally chronologically. Sometimes the scene shifts back to earth. Here we are in heaven, and then there is a shift back to earth. And so we're going into another sort of time warp here and occasionally there is an insertion into the book of the Revelation to give us a detail of something that had happened but to sort of catch us up on where things are we have to keep that in mind and we'll see that uh, as we go as we go through this study I have that's okay let's Christ says to John all right that's the church. Now come up here. You have to see what's hap- what happens after these things. Now, chapters chapters four and five uh, just sort of uh, uh, give us a, a, an introduction or a prologue to the events that I'm going to call histor- future historical. <laughs> future historical events that begin in chapter six, and then they'll run all the way through chapter 22. So we're, we're going to be in this prologue for a little while, all right? Now, there's activity around the throne of God as God moves into action to bring final judgment upon earth dwellers and upon the earth itself preceding the establishment of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on planet earth. Now again, the church is not mentioned. The church is not. The church is in heaven. So uh, we know that there was that promise in chapter three uh, to the to the to the church in in uh, Philadelphia. The promise of the Lord to the church that He would keep uh, those who were true to His word and and to His name. He said, "You have kept the word of my endurance, the word of my perseverance." Um, and I will, he said, I will keep you from the hour of testing that's about to come upon the whole inhabited earth, those, the earth dwellers, to test those who dwell on the earth. So he has said to the Philadelphian church and he says to the church, I will keep you from the hour of testing. Thank God you and I, if you stay with this study and it's, it's going to take me a while. But if you stay with this study, you're going to hurt with pain when you see the crescendo 
of of uh, of wrath and horrific events of judgment that fall upon an unrepentant earth one after another they would not repent it says that more than one time in the bible with regard to the earth dwellers even though they have all of those those cataclysmic events that are occurring uh, around them so it, this this chapter 4 beginning of it sort of takes us back then uh, to what was said in chapter 3 to the Philadelphian church that thank God in heaven in Christ we are kept by his promise that's his promise we are kept from the hour of testing that's going to fall upon all of those who dwell upon the earth well let's look at verse 2 He says, Yes, yes. Just then, immediately, snap, a millisecond, just then, at once, I was in the spirit. So he he's on the Isle of Patmos, he's an old man, but the power of Christ causes him to, to leave himself. And brings him somewhere else. We'll talk about that in just a second. And look, a throne was set in heaven. All right? Look, a throne was set in, now there's a definite arc, or in the heaven. Let me give you the biblical view of the universe. I've read them all. There's... There's one religious group that thinks that there's 12 levels of, uh, of existence, and I'll have read it all. The Bible tells you that there are three parts to a man, body, soul, and spirit, and there are three levels of the universe. The first heaven is, of course, the atmospheric heaven. The second heaven is the galaxies and the stars and all of that out there uh, in the universe. The third heaven, though, this is where he's caught up to because he is immediately before the one he's he's seeing a throne and then it says the one sitting upon the throne now with with uh, with thinking about that uh he is it, it's like paul in second corinthians paul said he was called him to third heaven he was in paradise in the third heaven and, and he had to say, you know, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. I, I really don't know such an experience. So what that tells me is that uh, being, being for, for John, being transferred in the spirit from his bodily presence on Patmos, he still, he still had sensitivities and sensibilities. Uh, and, and as Paul said, it was just real hard for me to tell if there was you know, if I was out of the body or in the body or whatever. Um, but it is so so real that it's just everything that's ever you is there. You know, you can see it, you can feel it, you can touch it, uh, you, you can smell it. Uh, so so all of these things are part of the sensibilities and sensitivities of, of John. And this is the biblical perspective of of cosmology or whatever the three levels of of uh, of the realm of existence the first heaven the second heaven and the third heaven so here he is in the third heaven now this is the dwelling place of god angels are there of course angels can 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 go from there and go back there but angels are there uh in, in paradise in paradise we've done a study not gonna not gonna go back and do the study all over again but we've studied that word paradise it's used three times in the Bible uh, Christ used it in Luke Paul used it in second Corinthians and uh, John uses it in the Revelation 3 and it talks about a place that is a part of the realm of the third heaven uh, paradise so he's 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 He's, he's left the plane of reality as it existed for him on Patmos. 
And he, in a way that only Christ could bring him into, is, is in another plane of reality, only by heavenly invitation. And John was invited. First thing, the throne. You can't see the throne without seeing the wonderful, magnificent one, the majestic one who is seated upon that throne. So first a door is open to him. Poof, immediately, at once. I'm in the presence of the throne and the one sitting on the throne, throne, heaven's throne. Oh, man. It's the established place of omnipotent rule. Rule from God. The place where we must enter into a time of worship. The place from whence judgment comes. The throne of God. Here's a this is a good picture. We're you know, there's a lot of debate now as as people are having to stay in longer and longer and these rules and regulations and and you know rules and regulations don't sit well with anybody just 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 ask your smallest child uh nobody likes to go along with rules and regulations and you can go along for a while but then you get to wanting to be a little free you know you want freedom and we're beginning to see some of that uh across the world in in the protestings and so forth but with that said we're under probably the most global administration that I've ever seen. I'm not saying that there's one person administering all of these rules and regulations, but there's a general agreement, apparently, among world leaders about people sheltering in place and what you do, wear a mask and don't do this and don't go there and go here. You can do this, but you can't do that. Uh, so so here's, this, here's this thing, and we're all just... Uh, you know, I don't think there's a generation alive today that's ever experienced anything like this, a worldwide scale. We're under these mandates, you know. Let me tell you something. That's nothing compared to the dominion of God, the almighty, sovereign God who created it all and knows the end from the beginning and all points in between. This is his throne. Nothing will stop the administrative power and rule that comes from the throne of God. Nothing. So here is a real picture of power. Ultimate, absolute, sovereign, divine power. The creator, the consummator, the judge in whom we live and move and have our being who wrote the book of our days before there was ever one of them, has numbered our days. Well, we can see what a we can well we can sort of get an idea of what a tremendous experience this must have been for John. Verse three, and there's a definite article there, and it's in the masculine, so it is. And the one sitting resembled or was like in, uh, in sight or in my gaze, the, the word uh, horase, the word horizon comes from that, applied in this, uh, in this dative form it's like John is in a gaze, okay? <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure I would be too. So I'm gazing at this, at this one sitting on the throne. And he is like, in appearance, he is like stone. There's no definite article here. I suppose you could insert the, the indefinite article. He is... He is, in my gaze, like stone. But then he hastens to say, hey, not just any stone, not just any stone, but Yaspidi, 
Jasper. Kai Sardio. And um, Sardius. Some called it carbuncle. It's, it's a deeper, richer red. A little darker than just a ruby. Now the we come to realize from the rest of the description of the of the jaspidi, the jasper, that that's a diamond. We that's mo- most most uh, most Greek scholars agree that this is this thing that's crystal clear and it has such power of of beauty and refraction that it's a diamond. So a diamond and a sort a a, a a deep rich red precious stone and a rainbow around the throne and there's there's that phrase again like in my gaze like in a in in, in my gaze in appearance an emerald all right, so we have three precious stones mentioned here. Two of them have an appearance that exude from the one sitting on the throne, a diamond and a sardius. Yas, yas, yaspidi, sardio. Uh, sparkling diamond and reflecting Blood red, glory, majesty, deity, and sacrifice, atonement. Now, this this uh, this twofold description of the jasper and the sardius uh, takes us back to Ezekiel. Remember, Ezekiel saw the Lord coming in a uh, a, ch- a throne that was moving the Machabah, the chariot throne, and he saw him blazing, as blazing as 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 an electric storm. He saw him like blazing light, and it was like it was like fire and lightning coming out from this throne where the Son of Man was seated on the top of it. So here you have the enthroned almighty God in none other than the person of God the Son. He is described here, if you put it together with what Ezekiel says, he is described in flashing, flaming light and color as glory, as as splendor, as beauty, as, as, as the burning wrath of who he is set for the time that's about to fall. So the the the, the Jasper stone is mentioned oh uh, what is it in Revelation twenty one and it talks about the brilliance the brilliance of of the New Jerusalem is 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 like the brilliance of the glory of God and he compares it in the Revelation uh, twenty one to a very costly stone, a crystal clear jasper. Well, it, it, it bursts forth with magnificent light and flashing fire-like light, like an electrical storm. And it would refract all of the colors of the spectrum, as you know a diamond does. It, a diamond, what, what's so beautiful about it, it breaks down the light into the spectrum of colors, this is unbelievably glorious and majestic. As John sees this, these shining, uh, faceted stones. There are two of them, and it shines and bounces around off the glory of the throne itself. Now, let's think about this. Uh, we we let the Bible serve as its own uh, own commentary here. What John is seeing is not something that is peaceful. Now now the the crystal sea might be something a little more peaceful, but this this flashing of the brilliance of a diamond 
breaking the Shekinah glory light of God into its brilliant uh, sets of colors and then the sparkling of the blood red that comes from the Sardis and it exudes from the very one who is enthroned in the throne room of heaven. This is discomforting because as magnificent and splendid as it is, it, it has behind it flashing wrath. His eyes were like fire. You remember that? So this probably is some sort of a f- somewhat frightening experience in my view. Just like when Ezekiel saw it, he fell down like a dead man. So here, and, and of course Isaiah, I'm thinking of people who fell, Isaiah fell down like a dead man. He saw it. So it's, it's, it's like it's blazing in its own fire. Now the jasper and the sardius stones were the first and the last stones of the breastplate of the high priest. You can read that in Exodus 28. Uh, it, they represent the first and the last tribes. Each tribe had his own stone. Reuben had the first stone, jasper, and uh, Benjamin had the last stone, sardius, so you, you can't you can't leave the thought that this has something to do with first and last and also something to do with the two sons or the names that were given to them, Reuben and Benjamin. Reuben, whose, whose stone is glory and diamond and fiery, his, his stone was a diamond, a diamond, and his name, Ruben, means, Behold my son. The last one was Benjamin. His was the Sardius stone, and his name means, The son of my power. The son of my right hand, the son of my power the son of my authority, the one who gave his blood, the one who cut the covenant, the blood red stone that is flashing brilliant red sparkles against the backdrop of the glory of deity that bursts from the jasper stone. Behold my son, the son of my power. I gave to him his bride and he died for her. He gave his life. He redeemed her. Kinsman redeemer and yet very God of very God. And then there's this sparkling emerald like a a rainbow. A rainbow that established a covenant. You remember that was a covenant that was established. The first and last of the stones Reuben, Benjamin, God is seen in the Bible as having a covenant relationship to Israel. And that even though the fury of his wrath will fall in judgment, it will not consume his covenant people. The Bible says all Israel shall be saved. Thus, thus you see the Revelation 4 begins the 70th seven-year period of those 77-year periods prophesied in the book of Daniel. And the message came right from heaven about those 70 Shabbats, those 77s. 69 of them have been completed. The 69th closed with the death of Christ and the 70th begins and Daniel says, the the angel says to Daniel, these years are determined for your people, Israel. So this is is the time. So Israel is going to be saved. God's going to fulfill his covenant. Just like he said he would. So he he hasn't forgotten his promise um, to, to Israel. Now, In verse 3, he says, let me go back again. 
the one sitting was like a jasper sardius and a rainbow around the throne there's that phrase again uh, similar or like in my gaze an emerald and he says it was it's the preposition there was around uh, it was around the throne that's an interesting description now how is it that he only sees emerald exuding forth from that from that uh, rainbow how is it um, a rainbow you know as, I, as well as I is made up of of how many colors seven colors of the spectrum something like that so it divides you know the light into those colors green is in there but this is some kind of special rainbow here uh Maybe it was that just from his vantage point, the green was just dominant and it really struck him. But we know what a rainbow means. Uh, it, it means that uh, God has a covenant and he's not going to let loose of his covenant. Ezekiel, of course, saw the same thing that John saw. And Ezekiel in chapter one, he said... Uh, he said, "You know, there was a there was this this radiance around the throne and around him on the throne, and it had the appearance of the rainbow in a cloud in the clouds on a rainy day." Now Ezekiel saw the same thing. He saw the multicolors. From Ezekiel's perspective. He saw the appearance of an emerald and the and the other colors obviously just sparkling off of it. Now the wonderful and beautiful and glorious thing about this is just looking at the throne, we haven't even gotten anywhere yet, but just in the throne room. And it pours out this brilliance of flashing light that glows in white and red flames highlighted by a sparkling green this all of a sudden this this coolness of green some it seems to capture John in the midst of all these other flashing these flashing lights covenant of course the rainbow speaks of a of a covenant God's faithfulness so at the center of the throne you're looking at the wrath of God the holy wrath of God, but surrounding it, this beautiful green glow of faithfulness, new life, faithfulness. The wrath of God never comes at the expense of faithfulness. Judgment is always subservient to promise that God has made. God can zap us out of existence with just a wink of his eye or a thought. And if that's all we had in the Bible, we would live in horrible fear and then finally go to a Christless grave and into a cold, hard ground to where at last we would descend into the abyss of eternal punishment. But it's not that way. God is faithful and he extends mercy and he is a God of grace. He is a God who has made a covenant and he is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his covenant. So that's what we have here. Wrath blasting forth from the throne, but mixed in there is mercy and grace. And the church is already protected. The church is already in heaven. So these seven years of tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, yet still Israel is in a very special way protected, even in the midst of God's wrath 
as it falls because he is a merciful and gracious God. Okay, I'm going to go on here and get to uh, verse verse 4. Okay. And around the throne, 24 thrones, And on the thrones, 24 presbyterus elders. That's a, hey, that's a New Testament word. That's a church word in the Greek text. And on the thrones, 24 elders sitting. Sitting. Present is a participle, but in the present, and that means that they're just they're 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 not they're not not going to change this. This is beautiful here, and it's a perfect participle in the middle. Having been clothed, it's actually in the passive. Having been clothed in white garments, and on their heads golden crowns. Here's the great flashing omnipotent throne but just below surrounded by 24 thrones. There has been a crowning here. Someone, somehow a group elevated in rank to be crowned So, who are they? Now, the word elder, it's the same word that's used in the other part of the New Testament that refers to the leaders of the church. Some people think, and there was a time when I wrestled with this, that these are the 24, uh, there's an angelic council that's mentioned in the Old Testament. But, you know, the more I look at it, the term elder is never used relative to angels. Never is. Angels are never crowned. You don't see an angel taking a crown. They're not crowned in in any way. So the word elder is really inappropriate to use for, for an angel. A coronation to be crowned is inappropriate for angels. That's not them. And these people were seated. These 24 elders were seated. They're sitting. Angels are never seen sitting. They're flying. (laughs) They're working. They're waiting. They're standing. They don't sit. But having, it says in the the Greek text, it gives, gives to us that present... They have entered into a rest. Look at this. Um, let me go back to it. Sitting. Oh, man. It's the accusative masculine. It's plural. It's a present participle. It's in the passive. This, this, okay, they're, they're at rest. They are enthroned, crowned, And victorious, they're seated on thrones. They they've won a victory. Not only that, they're sitting with God. Sitting with God around. They are sitting with God around His throne in that victory. Okay, am I am I alive again? All right. Uh, by way of explanation, our camera died battery went out on it I think or something and that means that I'm preaching too long uh, and I don't know if you're still there or not but I'm going to finish what I started uh, because I'm enjoying it if ain't nobody else enjoying it All right, they are seated the elders are seated for them they're done they're, it's victory for them but they're not just seated they're sitting with God around God's throne 
or another clothed in white garments. Now that's generally, that's generally the uh, the, the the clothing of saints uh, in heaven. Chapter three, the promise was, wasn't it? In chapter three, he said, "I, you you buy gold refined by the fire uh, for me, and you you'll be rich and." You may clothe yourselves in white garments, something like that. Well, I don't have to tell you that several times in the Bible we understand these white garments are given to the saints of the church, garments of righteousness, uh, garments that are unsoiled. So this is the righteousness imputed to the believers by faith. So who? Are, so we can we can say then that apparently these elders. are in some sort of ruling, victorious role in heaven. They have been crowned. Um, another thing is, I said crowns are never promised to angels. You don't ever see an angel wearing a crown, but this is not the diadema, which is on the head of Christ. That's the authoritative, the, the diadem of a king. This is the Stephanos. This is the, the word here. Um, and uh, Stephanus in the, in, the, in the plural. And they're golden. So, so here, uh, this would be the warrior's crown, the one who won a victory. This is the victor's crown. It, you, have, you have to go through trial and struggle uh, to wear a, a victor's crown. And so they're wearing a Stephanos to struggle with something. Holy angels don't struggle with sin, you know, or personal trials. Uh, you don't see how they're trying to win some personal triumph over a difficulty that faces them. You don't see that. But you've seen it in the lives of believers. Okay, so where am I headed with this. Crowns are for victors. They're for overcomers. We've already seen that uh, in the Revelation. If we go back to the Old Testament, um, 1 Chronicles 24, David appointed 24 heads to represent the Levitical priesthood. By the time of David, the tribe of Levi had gotten so numerous and men were supposed to be active in the priesthood from the age of 20 to the age of 50. Now you can imagine how many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of men between the ages of 20 and 50 there were in the Levitical priesthood. And so they, they were appointed in orders, in 24 orders of the priesthood. And each order had over it someone who led them. This was all appointed by David and those 24 leaders of that of those 24 courses of the priesthood were were uh, were they were they were representatives I guess you'd say representatives of those 24 courses of the priesthood and then in, in the next right in there somewhere maybe the next chapter there were 24 divisions of singers in the temple well the the the, the sub the sub tribes of Levi who were special singers, the musical group, there were so many of them that you had to you had to sort of divide them up as well because the temple was only so big. Uh, so the 24 singers represented the divisions of the musicians that provided music for the temple. So it, the number 24 is the number of representation uh, of a group of a special group. Now, what I see here is that the number is representative of a group. And whoever they are, they represent a much larger group, like the priesthood, the musicians. Now, we know in the in, in writings of Paul, for example, that believers are going to be crowned. We have a crown coming for us. We're going to be, be joint heirs with Christ and rule and reign with him. 
So you have a crowned, victorious church arrayed in white garments, raptured out of the world in heaven. And and this, to me, even further proves a, a pre-tribulation rapture. So I think you have here a representation of the church. Now, you know, you're... Your mind can run away with you on this kind of thing. Um, if it's a representative group, because in the Old Testament, those 24 guys didn't stay there all the time. There was a constant change of the headship. You know, these guys got to be seated now and, and, and another group come in. So does that mean, and I think it does, but I guess it's just wishful thinking on my part. But it seems to me that every saint of God, as many as there are in heaven, every saint of God somewhere along the way will have his turn to sit on those thrones. That's my view. This is the representation of the triumphant church, crowned, victorious, cleansed, enswathed in white garments, and seated. The work is over. Nothing else. Seated on the throne to enjoy the work and ministry and presence and person of Christ. Man, I'm going to have to end there. I could keep on on this. I'm I'm feeling too good about it. Uh, So let me pray, okay? Father God in heaven, Lord, how we long to be in your presence. Thank you for this beautiful revelation that you gave that the Father gave to you as a gift and that you've given to the church that we might see you in our mind's eye in the best way we can. Father, I pray your blessings on Shiloh. Father, I pray that you'll watch over our flock, keep us from harm and sickness and bless those who are sick, restore them to health, bless our nation. Father, I pray that you'll use this time as a time of great awakening in this world perhaps the time that will just precede the rapture of the church. Bless us in the way that we should go. Forgive us of our sins and use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Glitches and all, we're done.